Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. It is the 11 Dubcast, and oh. I am Michael Citro. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho. Ho, ho. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't let you finish saying your name. Wow. I'm... That was that was uh, scary. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> Christmas can be a scary time. I'm Johnny Ginner. Um, uh, you know, it's not terrifying, but you just you got to be on your toes. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I wasn't on my toes for that because I didn't expect that. That was uh, it caught me off guard. But um, Johnny, I, I have to say this: I'm, I'm a I'm a Merry Christmas guy, and I, it's, I'm not meaning offense to people that don't celebrate Christmas. But if I say Merry Christmas and you celebrate like Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or whatever Festivus, just assume that I mean whatever you celebrate. Have a happy one. Yeah. That, well, I mean, I, I celebrate Christmas, but you know, I I've always been very curious about some of the other holiday Yule-type celebrations. You know, I'm interested to see what constitutes a Kwanzaa celebration. I'm interested to see, first of all, Hanukkah is like a third-tier Jewish holiday, right? Like, they (laughs) seriously, like Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are like way more important than Hanukkah is. But, you know, it's it's still something that I'm interested in. And, Mm. you know, if you're like, you know, you're a Wiccan or something, I'm I'm curious about that too. So, you know, it's, it's a very interesting time of year. For many different yes. people, and you are assuredly celebrating it with your loved ones and friends and family members, and you know we wish you whatever you're doing to have a happy one. So that's I right. Think that's and even sentiment. if you don't celebrate anything, just have a happy December. That's right, you know, exactly. Just be happy. That's that's really yeah. all I want for everyone involved <laughs> and anyone <laughs> who might be listening to this podcast. So now that we've covered so, the entirety of the human race. Yeah, uh, we have. <laughs> who's most assuredly like listening that. to this? Yeah, we did it in like a minute too, so we're really good yeah. at what we do. Well, we get about say. a billion listeners, you know, <laughs> a week, so I really do think that we need to be very specific when we talk about this stuff. Yeah, roughly a billion. Yeah, roughly. give or take. Um, yeah. A bit. So, Johnny, we got obviously we got the the big sugar bowl coming up, and it's getting closer and closer, and people are getting very excited about that. And uh, we're gonna have Matt Finkus for Finkus on football, as we usually do. Yes. And we're gonna talk about all that stuff. But before we do that, I'm going to just turn up, make all of our listeners turn off the podcast by talking a little bit about Buckeye basketball just to start, just for a few minutes. Yeah. Just bear with us. If you're not a basketball fan, just bear with us. But, uh, Johnny, I wanted to talk about the big North Carolina game. Obviously, that was one of the ones that you circled when you saw the uh, the schedule come out. Sure. And just like the Louisville game, Ohio State came out and played a very sloppy, very bad uh, first half, got way behind. Sort of made a little bit of a run in the second half, but not to the extent that they did against Louisville. What is it about Ohio State basketball? They just can't seem to get over the hump against the Blue Blood uh, programs. Uh, well, there, I think there are a couple things going on, two, two big macro things. One, they're not that great. Uh, <laughs> you know, like it's cool <laughs> to watch them beat up on like Miami of Ohio and I don't know, whoever else, whatever fake college name you want to insert. That's great. That's fun. But... They're not, I think, really at the point yet to where they can hang with the big guys. And part of the reason for that is my second point, which is they're really young. So they're going to come out flat when they shouldn't come out flat. They're going to do some dumb things on offense, especially you know with turnovers. I mean, Daniel Russell is a great basketball player, but he also is you know mistake prone, and that's mm-hmm. that's just part of the learning process with a young team. Um, you know, and I don't think the Big Ten overall this is a really weird year, you know? And, and the, honestly, like, I'm not super upset that they couldn't beat North Carolina, although I do think this is not a great North Carolina team that they lost to. Mm-hmm. But I am also at least a little bit happy that they're not uh, falling victim to the same kind of pitfalls that the rest of the Big Ten are. So 
it's not great. You don't want to see you want to see them be much more competitive in these types of games than they have been. But on the other hand, I can accept it as part of the learning process of a younger team. So yeah, they're not the they're not the rudderless ship that Michigan has been uh, so far right. this year. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the seniors. You talk about it being a young team, and it, it is, except for where it isn't. If that makes sense, um, the seniors on this team: Amir Williams, Shannon Scott, Sam Thompson, and uh, Lee Anthony Lee. Uh, this team is not getting the kind of play and kind of leadership from its seniors that you would hope for. And what is the legacy of this senior class? That uh, I, I'm going to exclude Lee here and just talk about the ones that have been here for four years. You talk about, uh, you know, Williams and Scott, and uh, in particular, as because they were such highly prized recruits. What, what do you think their legacy is? I mean, I don't know. I'm not a big legacy guy. Like I think teams win things. Right. Like, I don't like to pin things on classes because I think it's largely out of their control. Like you could have, I don't know, people do that all the time in football. And I'm like, I don't know that that's really an accurate way to to gauge how well someone played. I want to look at the individuals. Shannon Scott, for example, right, should not be. I don't feel he should be pinned to the same kind of legacy that Amir Williams has. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I don't, I don't mean – I mean, by all means, you know, you break them down separately, but I'm just trying to lump them in because they're seniors and saying, you know, of these guys, what are we going to think about these guys in five years or will we think of these guys at all? I don't think we'll think of them. I mean, and the thing is, is that, again, it's, you know, especially in basketball where you've got a one-and-done situation with a lot of players. I mean, granted, that hasn't happened at Ohio State for a while, but the the thing that I'm saying, I guess, is that I don't think – their success or lack of it or whatever you want out of them. I, I think you have to look at them as individuals because Amir Williams, for example, Amir Williams came in super hyped, uh, you know, McDonald's All-American, I believe, a guy that you really were going to, like, lean on to be a huge central part of the basketball team hasn't panned out, has not mm-hmm. happened that way. Shan Scott, on the other hand, I think has played very well within his uh, skill set. And I just, you know, if this, it'd be one thing if you're bringing in, like, 13 dudes on a football team or 20 dudes on a football team to be the core of your team. And they form a huge part of what you're trying to do. Uh, But in this sense, like the basketball team for the past, like three or four years were dominated by, you know, Aaron Kraft and uh, some of the other like skilled players that, that everything was funneled through them. Whereas Shan Scott really hasn't been like the focal point of anything. And Amir Williams, because he hasn't been very good as not either. So these guys, in my opinion, are pretty much just going to be like, they're going to be, I don't want to say forgotten, but they're not going to be remembered as one of the great classes. And that's, that isn't necessarily all on them as a whole, but individually, I think they maybe could have done things to, to make them more memorable. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking back at these games and and especially the two games that Ohio state lost to the very good, you know, teams like Louisville and North Carolina. And I think Shannon Scott was just a train wreck against Louisville for sure. And against North Carolina, again, you saw him cutting down the lane, getting in trouble, and just throwing up a layup off the bottom of the rim. And that's not indicative of the kind of play that Thad Mata wants, obviously. And, you know, not to say that, that Aaron Kraft didn't have his moments like that as well, but it's, it's, it's tough to watch a senior do things like that when you've got so many freshmen that you want to see them start to grow and, and, and you want to see them mature into college basketball players. And the guys that are leading them – and showing them the ropes are, you know, guys that are bricking the bottom side of the rim and other guys that can't catch a pass in traffic to save his life. Right. So um, it, it's it's a little bit of a tough recruiting class, I think, for Thad. I think at the time that he signed him, he thought, man, really, really did very well 
with that recruiting class. And then uh, I think, you know, after four years, we see that it wasn't a very good class overall. Yeah, I mean, certainly not a lot like we have this year with the freshmen this year and, and also the freshmen coming in next year look to be very good. Well, that's and that's the thing, like it, a lot of it is cyclical and, and you don't really know if, you know, again, basketball is a different beast than football. And a lot of times you just have no idea what we're going to get. If you get three busts and a recruiting class in basketball, like that's horrible, right? Like that is that is mm-hmm. a gigantic failure on your part. And talent evaluation, because then you're really kind of screwed uh, if you need, for instance, someone to be an inside presence or something like that, uh, which is obviously much more important in the college game than in, in the pros. So, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think the team is going to learn from its mistakes. I think they're going to get significantly better as the year goes on, as Tad modest teams almost always do. But they, you know, I think they are who they are. They're not going to be Kentucky at this point. You know, they're not going to be a Duke. They don't have really. Players. They're not going to be. You're not going to be able to beat Kentucky this year. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't. I okay. doubt. I mean, maybe. Who knows? And and honestly, like, <laughs> I do think Kentucky might be. Might be. I I, I hesit. I know I'm going to get eaten alive for this, but I think they might be a little overhyped. Um, I think people like to put these platitudes on on teams like really early in the year. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Is that you know they got to keep grinding. Um, they're really good. They're really good. But they, I think there have been comparable teams in the past. Um, so I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of develops as well. But um, yeah, don't don't call the college football or the college basketball season in December. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. That's a mistake. Okay. So you're right. You know, Thad modest teams generally get better as the season goes on. So we haven't seen what they're going to be yet. Right. But, um, yeah. At times they look like. Was going to be a team that could really challenge for that NIT championship, <laughs> and yeah. and that's kind of sad after you know the success that we've had, which you know we're a little bit spoiled because that's been pretty darn good for us. Right. Well, let's turn our attention, Johnny, to the Alabama Crimson Tide a little bit. Um, you know, we're getting closer to the big game. Are you starting to get nervous yet? I know we talked about this a little bit in the past. Uh, I'm starting to get a little more confident. Actually, yeah. The more the more I think about Alabama, the more I see them. I'm like, all right, these guys are really good, and and they deserve to be the the favorites. You know, I'm I'm gonna keep harping on that. I don't want to I don't want to couch or I don't want to like I guess say that they're they're the, yeah, they they're a bunch of bubs, bunch of overrated SEC. Blah blah blah. They're good. They're a good team. <laughs> With that said, and the more I I read, and the more I you know watch tape of them and whatnot. They are definitely vulnerable in several key positions. Their offensive line is not unbelievable. It's it's very good, but it's not incredible. Um, their quarterback is streaky at times. Their corners are not great. Like they, you know, and their linebackers are decent. You know, I thought their linebackers. I, I was operating in something. Oh, these guys are like world beaters. And I think I said that last week. I went back and looked at some of the stats and what they had done. They're not that awesome. They're good, but again, that's this is a very good team. That Ohio State has to play. It is not um, in, like incredible. It's not world beaters. Uh, they're just very good. And Ohio State, uh, you know, I am getting pretty. I don't think I'm going to call a win for Ohio State yet, but I do think it's going to be incredibly competitive. And especially if Ohio State can run the ball. If Ohio State can run the ball, that's got to scare the crap out of Alabama because then they can do all kinds of things on offense. Uh, if they're able to run through the middle. So a lot of it to me is going to hinge on how the offensive line performs. And if they, they're on their game, it's going to be very difficult for Alabama to slow down Ohio State. Yeah, for me, you just hit the key matchup of the game. For me, it's Ohio State's offensive line in the running game against Alabama's front seven. Because yeah. 
not only I think their linebackers have gotten a bad rap because they're not great in coverage, but I think they've been very good against the run. Right. And their front four have been very good against the run. Um, they they are very good at blowing up running plays and, and limiting, um, you know, what the other team can do. So it's going to be very interesting to see if. You know, we can open up some cracks for Ezekiel Elliott and, uh, you know, get Cardale Jones out there, getting him some runs, and maybe hit uh, some plays with the H-backs. Uh, it, you know, H-back, right. being Marshall, or Wilson if he plays. So I don't think Wilson uh, will play, but what I will say is this. And the reason why I think that's such a – I mean, obviously it's a key matchup, but here's the thing. Like, Ohio State has played some very good run defenses – earlier on in the year, right? Penn State was an excellent mm-hmm. run defense. Michigan State was an excellent run defense. Wisconsin had an excellent run defense. And a lot of people say, well, it's the Big Ten, you know, whatever. It's easy to have a good run defense in the Big Ten. No, it's not. It really, really isn't. Like, the Big Ten, maybe more than any conference, like, they can't do much right, but they have great <laughs> running backs, right? Like, probably yeah. the two best running backs in the country are in the Big Ten, and these teams are playing those guys over and over and over. Maybe the three best. Yeah, maybe even maybe the, the three, three best. best. Yeah, so absolutely those are legit run defenses that Ohio State played against. That's part of what gives me hope. Ohio State chewing up Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan State, that's not nothing. That means something for the game that's coming up. And Alabama better watch the tape of those games and see what they were doing on on the offensive line because if they do not pay attention to that, they're going to be in big trouble because they have some... No, I don't think they should. I, I don't think they should look at those yeah. films. I don't think I don't think they should look at any film on Ohio State at all. Yeah, I, if, if uh, Jay, did you see that where Jason got the email about... Uh, yeah. The... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, our, so our, our site manager, Jason, got an email from someone who basically said, how could you put all of our secrets out there for Nick Saban to easily game plan against That's us? That's right. Kirby Smart's uh, just like refreshing. He's just hitting 5-11 <laughs> Warriors like, come on, man, I need that info. Where's that Ross Fulton breakdown? I want to find out what's going on. Give me Kyle Jones in line now. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, we're apparently we're giving Alabama, you know, all of our secrets. They they would not have been able to come up with any of this stuff on their own. No, of course. Because <laughs> Ross Fulton should be coaching in Division One football. That's right. So, you know, it's a big game, and I think what's going to – keep me from getting real nervous on the day of the game is that the other uh, semifinal starts, I think, at 5.30. Yeah. And so, you know, I'll be able to watch that. It'll be like, okay. Then I won't be watching pregame and getting nervous. I'll be like, okay, what's going on with this Oregon-Florida State game? Right. Um, and so, you know, when Florida State is now going to have me rooting for Oregon, which, you know, Florida State has made me root for Bobby Petrino this year. <laughs> and, you know, uh and the Florida Gators this year, yeah, I mean they they're, they've made me root for people I never thought I'd root for. And now I got to root for Oregon because I absolutely cannot stand what's been going on in Tallahassee. But anyway, um, it should be interesting. We're gonna we're gonna have uh, Matt Finkus on. We'll talk a little bit more about the Alabama game uh, in just a bit. Uh, but we also want to talk about a little bit about Michigan State's defensive coordinator Pat Narduzzi reportedly on his way to Pitt. Johnny, yeah. Uh, that's that's not. I mean, honestly, I thought they had locked that dude down with his contract, right? Like he was going to be the heir apparent. But you know, if you want to co- be a head coach, you maybe not want to wait around for like the Lich King, uh, you know, Mark Antonio, <laughs> to to give up his position. So I get it. You know, it's 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 the it's the silly season in coaching, and, and you know that's kind of the the way it goes. We've been pretty like. Tom Herman was going to go. We, I think we got an extra year out of that guy. I think everybody 
uh, assume that was the case. But I think we kind of mm-hmm. dodged a bullet with Chris Ash there. So I'm 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 happy with that. I'm happy with at least that. Let's keep Chris yeah. Ash for at least another year. Um, yeah, I mean Narduzzi, you know, it's it's not a shock. He's one of the best defensive coordinators. He's one of the best coordinators period in college football and Pitt, you know, Pitt is always that job where people are like, man, if they just got the right guy, they would be great. I don't know how much I believe that. Right. But it is a, you know, it's a job with the history. It's a job with a little bit of prestige still again, Mm -hmm. maybe just due to Mark May, you know, talking about incessantly, but like it's still, it's a, it's a head coaching job that people recognize. And that's why Narduzzi took it. And again, you know, that's why guys like Chris Ash and Tom Herman and whoever else are out there looking for those jobs. Cause it's a prestige thing. It's not just about money. So, you know, <laughs> there's a big conversation to be had about how the big 10 compensates its assistant coaches and coordinators. I, I think that that is definitely one area that the conference as a whole needs to kind of, you know, pick up on a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, it, it's going to be an interesting it's going to be an interesting hiring process for at least Ohio State and how they're going to – I mean, I assume uh, Ed Warnier is going to be the – Warnier is going to be the um, the offensive coordinator, but they got to find a quarterback's coach, and they may be paying that dude back. So we'll uh, we'll see. Yeah, and I'm wondering, too, if Ohio – or not Ohio State, but the Big Ten has kind of whiffed this offseason with its hires. I mean, nobody's really crazy about what Wisconsin and Nebraska have done, and – if Michigan whiffs on Harbaugh, then nobody's going to be impressed with what they did either because they're right. not going to have gotten their man. So, you know, I think Herman and Narduzzi were guys that could have stepped into other Big Ten positions. I know that there's this stigma about we don't want to hire a coordinator. We want somebody with head coaching experience. But, you know, at some point, those coordinators have to get that head coaching experience somewhere. Right. So you're going to tell me that you need Tom Herman to go to Houston for a couple of years to figure out if you might want to hire him. All you got to do is look at our record books. Right. That's that would tell me right there that this is maybe is the guy we should take a chance on. If you're, a, you know, a Nebraska or a, you know, a, a Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin kind of got a guy they know. He's going to be a guy that does you know plays Barry Alvarez football, which and, apparently and, is and a, a huge criteria for Wisconsin because if they don't have that guy. <laughs> Barry Alvarez, I guess, goes insane and like tries to kill him or something, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah. They, they they got the guy that they wanted. It's it's kind of interesting because there aren't like a lot of like names this this go around. You know, Harbaugh's really the biggest guy who I who looks like he's available. I mean, I think if Harbaugh f- somehow falls through, although I don't think it will, uh, that they'll go after Les Miles next. But you know, Miles is getting older, and maybe there's a section of Michigan men who do not approve of Coach Les Miles, but. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's very interesting. I could talk about the Michigan situation all day. I think it's I think the mentality of businesses and schools and things like that, and they get in this herd mentality and they don't want to let go of it, and oftentimes to their detriment. And I think that's what's happened in Michigan for the past oh I don't know ten years. So uh, <laughs> no, seriously, like I, I think they just ha- I think they are locked into this certain idea about what their coach or team should look like. And mm-hmm. they will refuse. They're holding on to that image like grim death. And right. yeah, it's 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 interesting because Harbaugh will come in and he has said some things about Michigan that the the blue bloods haven't really loved. And it's going to be a challenge for him to kind of negotiate with that because I think he'll still get some pushback despite being Jim freaking Harbaugh. So yeah, yeah that, that's that's a very interesting. You compare that to Ohio State, right? Where Ohio State has like. You make us look bad, we're gonna like ask you in a second. 
right mentality. <laughs> yeah. Where, whereas no, Ohio State, like, you're right all, because Ohio State has no allegiance to anyone except itself. Like they do you're not. Right, care. Because if you look at the hires, you look at Earl Bruce was a very sort of standard Big Ten hire, right? Um, and he had you know the Ohio State ties. Then you had John Cooper was was, was a you know way outside the box for Ohio State at the time, right? And then Jim Tressel again way outside the box, different kind of guy. You know was you know coaching at Youngstown State. And they took a shot at him. And then Urban Meyer, obviously, much different style of coaching every single time for the last four or five hires. So, right. The, um, Ohio State's only allegiance is to winning. And, and that's yeah. worked out very, very, very well for Ohio State, for the university, uh, for a long time. Because all they care about is getting the best guy for the job. And that's how these coaching searches should be done. And it looks like if Michigan hires Harbaugh, gives him the money, and gets out of his way – maybe they have figured that out, finally, instead of just trying to, like, I mean, again, and look, Richrod was a great idea for a hire, and he's proven himself at Arizona to be a guy who can still coach, Mm -hmm. but, man, they micromanaged that guy and harried and harassed him for his entire tenure there, and then they finally let him go, and then he's, he's obviously doing great things, so... They they need to, I think, get their heads out of their butts a little bit and understand that the right hire is the best one, not the one that's necessarily the best fit. So I, I think Harbaugh is the guy they got to go after. He's going to shake some things up. He's going to make some people mad, but that's a necessary part of change. And, you know, Urban Meyer's done the same thing, but obviously that's paid great dividends for the, for the Buckeyes. I mean, think about this alternative universe where – you know, Jim Tressel is not hired, and Glenn Mason's the guy who gets in over him, right? Or where mm-hmm. uh, Urban Meyer says, nah, I like this whole uh, ESPN thing, and then we hire Bo Pelini. You know what I mean? Like, it's we have gotten incredibly lucky in these searches, incredibly lucky. Yep, they've done it right. And, um, you know, I think I think what everybody would like to see, for if you're a Ohio State fan, is you would like to see – Michigan, open up the war chest, say, here, Jim Harbaugh, have everything you ever dreamed of. Right. Come back to us. And then for Jim to say, nah, I'm staying in it. Because that's what, where the schadenfreude uh, truly lies, really. Right. All right. Joining us now, as, uh, as he does every week, Matt Finkus for Finkus on Football. Matt, how you doing tonight? Always great, buddy. <laughs> so um sugar bowl's coming up people are getting excited about it and we want to start talking about you know a little bit about alabama and breaking them down a little bit and i wanted to get your opinion on is this a team where if you if you can somehow manage to take care of amari cooper you can make them look bad or do they have a lot of other weapons they can hurt us with i don't know if they have a lot of other weapons they definitely have a decent running game i mean uh you know the the offensive line is very good. Uh, you know, the, the backs, they all, they're always going to have a stable of backs. Um, and and I, I think that, that is, it is important to address Amari Cooper and to try to limit his explosive plays. You're not going to limit his catches, but, but you're, you're, you're going to limit the explosive plays that, that he's going to make. And, and that is something that, you know, this defense has been focusing on all year. Going back to last season was, you know, those explosive plays. You go back to, to that Cincinnati game and, and, you know, how they let that get away from them and then really have been reining it in all season long after that. So I, I really feel defensively that if they can just uh, take a page out of the old Miss playbook when it comes to Amari Cooper, put two guys on him, just, just relegate yourself to that. Uh, put two guys on him and say, okay, we're, you know, catch the ball. We're going to tackle you for a six, seven, eight yard gain. Yeah, you might get some first downs out of it, but we're not going to let you go for, you know, 70, 80 yards and, and hurt us with the big play. And 
I think that, that Ohio State's defensive line is good enough to to really give the Alabama running game some some fits and and I've been singing the praises of the two guys on the inside and Bennett and Washington you know they played the best game uh, that those guys have ever played against Wisconsin we've been kind of waiting for those guys you know Adolphus Washington has been a guy that that came you know out of out of Taft High School that everyone thought was going to be very very good he moved from end you know to to inside with the emergence of Joey Bosa it it took him a year to get used to the three technique and now it's really starting to to shine for him. And Bennett is a guy who, you know, was the preseason All-American, uh, started off good. I mean, not, not great, but good, and, and, but has really picked up his game in the last four or five games. Those two guys have really been dominant. And, and I'll tell you what, any defense will tell you, any defensive coordinator will tell you, a defensive guy will tell you, the end's always, you know, it's great that Joey Bosa and the guys on the end, you're going to get the sacks and everything. But the guys on the inside, those two, if you have two dominant defensive tackles, you're going to win a lot of football games because everything happens from the inside out. That frees up your linebackers. That brings single blocking to a guy like Joey Bosa if they have to, you know, if that center has to help one side or another with a with a with a Bennett or Washington on pass rush. That's going to help out Bosa on the outside. Those two guys on the, I mean, you know, look no farther than than the defense. That, that the Detroit Lions were running last year when they had Fairley and they had Indomitian Sue on the inside. I mean, when those two guys were healthy, they were a dominant kind of defense, even with the, the shoddy linebackers that they had behind them. So I, I think that's the real key. I think that, that Alabama isn't invincible. And, and I think that's the, the luster's off them a little bit. I mean, you go back to the Oklahoma game and the bowl game. You look at, at, at this season, you know, I, I think uh, Sims has progressed uh, just as well or, or, or better than than JT Barrett, you know, coming in as a never started a game, but but you know, had a rough and rocky start at the beginning of the season, but but has progressed very well, and he's a he's a very good quarterback now at the end of the year, and, and I think though that they they the luster is off them, they they don't have. You know they've been knocked out. Their Mike Tyson and Buster Douglas has knocked them out, and so the, <laughs> the so so the luster is off, and, and that fear factor of running into Alabama, it just isn't there anymore. Are they a good football team? Absolutely. I mean they're they're a very very good football team, but you know we're not talking about two years ago when they played Notre Dame and for the national championship, and and people were looking at them like they could compete. You know, I mean, they they could you know go and 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 compete against NFL teams. Now that's crazy to talk about, but no one's talking about Alabama that way anymore, just because you know they're a young team, kind of like Ohio State. They've lost a lot of people to to the draft, especially in the secondary, and they're having to reload. So you know, I think defensively, what the Buckeyes need to do is is look really hard at what Old Miss did, and 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 maybe even at Arkansas. You know, Arkansas held them to I think fourteen or seventeen points as well. There's some games to point to, and that's what Luke and Chris Ash are going to have to do. Look at what worked in those games and look at what frustrated that Alabama offense and take a page out of that. Well, okay, so let's look at the other side of the ball because Michael and I were talking a little earlier, and I think we both agree that the the biggest matchup in the game is going to be the Ohio State offensive line versus the Alabama defensive line. My, I guess I have several questions related to that, I guess, but my, my biggest one is, is the success that Ohio State had against Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan State, do you think that's actually going to be able to transfer over to Alabama? In other words, is that indicative of the kind of rush offense that we have, or is it simply a result of playing, quote-unquote, Big Ten teams? 
No, I think that it's indicative of the rush offense we have. I mean, I, I think you go back to last year uh, in Michigan State, which was probably the best defensive line that, uh, that Ohio State has seen in three years, uh, including going up against this Alabama team this year, and probably um, just as good, if not better, than, than Ohio State's defensive line this year. And Ohio State ran the ball effectively against that Michigan State defense. You know, Ed Warner is probably the best coach on the offensive staff. I mean, Tom Herman aside, and I, I would – I would make it would be harder for me to lose Ed Warner than it would be to lose Tom Herman. And and that's just my perception. I think that he's a phenomenal football coach. I think you look at what he has done with this team since a Virginia Tech loss and look at this way this offensive line is playing right now. I mean, you've got three guys starting in the NFL off of an offensive line last year. You had one returning starter who was his first year, and Taylor Decker. And hey, I mean, Taylor had a rough year last year and then is starting to come into his own. And I think that, that Ohio State can, can run the ball against anybody. I, I really believe that that offensive line has the confidence and the scheme that they run. It's not complicated. It's not fancy. You know, I mean, it's, it's rolling off the ball, using double teams, getting to the second level. And, and it's going to be tough. I mean, Alabama has a very good defensive line. They've got the interior guys, too, as well. And that's going to be a tough challenge for them. But I think running the ball is going to be um, something that the Buckeyes are able to do. Now, when you talk about this defense that Nick Saban and Kirby Smart are going to throw at, at Cordell Jones, that is something that, that I think where Urban Meyer and Tom Herman are really going to have to earn their paychecks. I think that they're going to have to come up with a, with an offensive game plan that is – uh, that is doable for Cardell Jones. I, I, I love the idea of taking the shots down the field with Devin Smith. He's got the arm strength. Devin Smith has, has got the deep ball ability, and I think that they'll do that again. Alabama's been susceptible to that. Uh, there, there's plenty of weapons to get the ball to. I, I think that what you need to do is make sure that Cardell Jones knows what he's looking at. And, and, and this is where Tom Herman is invaluable, where you, you, you're going to see a ton of looks. You're going to see guys lined up in, in a ton of different places. Trey Dupriest is going to be, you know, on third downs, is going to be lined up everywhere, and you don't know where he's going to come from. You need to give Cardell Jones a, a package on second, or, uh, second and long or third and medium and third and long where he's looking at two guys. He's going to look and see where the safety is and, see, and, and try to determine the coverage by the, by the alignment of the corner and the position of the safety. And then he's going to read you know, the drop of the outside linebacker or the drop of the corner or the drop of the nickelback and, and know where the ball is going to go. And, and, and if it doesn't go there, big, strong guy, take your medicine and, and make sure and, and try to get the first down. I, I think the one thing that, that Alabama has thrived on as a team is momentum. I mean, they are a team that when they get turnovers, when they get the ball rolling against you, they know how to put the foot on the throat and, and step on it really, really hard. And that's something Ohio State can't do with turnovers. So I, I expect to see a lot of the same offense that we saw against uh, against Wisconsin. I, you know, it wasn't very complicated. You know, they, they ran some good routes. It was a lot of play action. They had guys in protecting, making sure that Cardell Jones had time to throw the ball. I, I don't expect to see much of a deviation offensively than what we saw at Wisconsin, and I think it will be pretty effective. I mean, th this is going to be a, a 35-24 football game, I think. Matt, what do you think the key is on that Alabama defense for Cardale Jones and for the running game? Is it going to be locating to Priest? Is it going to be Collins? Who's the who is the sort of the um the focus that, that Ohio State has to worry about. I, I think, you know, DePriest is, is obviously a talent. You know, I mean, is he C.J. Mosley? No, but, but, but he's a talent, and he's a guy that you're going to have to contend with. But I don't think he's a guy that you're going to have to 
um, account for with extra blockers or, or account for with your scheme. I mean, I, I just think you need to make sure when you're running the football, you go up and you get a hat on him. Again, I'm, I, I think the battle is going to be inside. I, I think that, you know, they, they've done a good job of helping Daryl Baldwin, who's, you know, maybe not as good as Taylor Decker on the pass sets. I think that, you know, how Jacoby Bourne, plays is going to be crucial against those two guys inside he's undersized a little bit he's very strong plays with great technique very smart player very cerebral but the way he's able to hold up uh, on the inside I think is going to be the key to that football game uh, if they're able to to control the line of scrimmage and control the middle of the field pick up the blitzes that, that Alabama is going to you know Alabama doesn't come off the edge they love to, to mix it up and blitz and stunt, uh, stunt through the middle cross their linebackers through the middle you know th- that kind of thing so it's those three guys in the middle of the field are going to be crucial for Ohio State. If they're able to pick up those inside linebacker blitzes and the crosses, and Ezekiel Elliott is able to step up and pick some of those up and give Cardell Jones time to deliver the football, I think that Ohio State has a really good chance. Hey, Matt, I, I want to get your opinion on this. This is, this is this story that everybody's been kind of like chewing on for the past week or so. Uh, what's your take on the whole Harbaugh situation uh, with Michigan? I think Michigan is doing the right thing. I, I think that they need to absolutely jump out of a tree to get him, do whatever it takes. I, I, I like the approach of not even looking at anyone else right now, putting all their eggs in the Jim Harbaugh basket. The, the, he's a good football coach at the pro level and at the college level. And I'll tell you what, if it's between Michigan and Oakland, I, I know that the allure of the uh, – and I've been having this discussion with people on social media all week – the allure of the NFL – that prestige, it, it's not the same. I mean, college coaches, the highest paid coach in America isn't in the NFL. He, he's sitting in Tuscaloosa. I mean, he's mm. making he's making more money than any NFL coach is making right now. And and that has brought this air of, the, you know, the minor leagues of college football. And here's where the big boys play. It, it, it's changed because the money's changed. You know, the, if, if he's going to get $8 million at Michigan or 8-point-something, I don't know if he's going to get that in the NFL. I mean, he, he doesn't have a Super Bowl ring. He, he, he's got a good track record. He's been to the Super Bowl, had, you know, had a good team with, uh, with San Francisco and, and coached it well. But, you know, they've, they've fallen off this year. Yeah, there's been a lot of injuries. But I'm not so sure that, that if I'm Jim Harbaugh, I'm going to go to Oakland and take over just a horrific football team with a, a quarterback who's a six. Sixth round pick who, you know, I mean, Derek Carr, eh, I, I, you know, I, I'm not putting all my eggs into that basket. You don't know should've, what the young. kept Fryer on the roster. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I mean... you, you, you don't know what the younger Davis is going to do uh, financial wise or control wise. You know, I mean, is he going to be like his dad and going to and wants to be the GM? Is he going to relinquish that control? I mean, you, th- there's a lot of variables there that, that are unknown. And, and I just think the stigma of, uh, you know, these guys that I've been talking to are like, well, but it's the NFL. And, you know, that's the pinnacle and you go get a Super Bowl ring and and that's all well and good. But Jim Harbaugh's a young guy. You know, I mean, this, this isn't Jim Harbaugh's last coaching gig. You know, it, it, he's not 60 years old or 70 years old. I mean, I played football against Jim Harbaugh. He's, he's not that old. You know, I mean, I, I played against him in the NFL. I mean, he, he's a guy, he's a guy who can go and rebuild a program at Michigan, stay there for 10 years, and and still go back and, and get into the NFL in the 60s. I mean, it's it's not um, unheard of. And and I think Michigan is doing the right thing. That they need to buy back their program. They need. There's not many guys out there that are going to fit the bill of being able to bring that program back in a 
relatively short amount of time. Jim Harbaugh is one of those people and maybe one of the only people who's willing to listen to Michigan right now. I mean, I don't know if Les Miles is, is really entertaining the fact of going back. I mean, he's got a pretty good deal down there in LSU. You know what I mean? And, and there's something also to be said about the job stability in college football as opposed to the NFL. I mean, you know, the NFL is a turnover machine. I mean, look at, look at Jim Harbaugh. He's, he's coming off a Super Bowl and three state, three straight NFC championships. He's probably going to finish eight and eight, and they're firing him, and and they it's it's unacceptable to him. You know, I mean, you're allowed to have those down years in in, in college football, and if you build up a little equity with the with the, some bowl wins and the, and some conference titles, they give you some time. They give you some time to rebuild and reload because they know it's a process. You miss on a couple of recruits, and then it's going to be tough for you to to be that competitive every single year. So I think Michigan is doing the right thing. I think Jim Harbaugh, from what I'm hearing uh, from from some people that I know inside Michigan, I think it's going to be a done deal. Uh, you know, he, he can't technically talk to or negotiate a contract right now while the NFL's in season, or you know, there, there's the whole legality coming back against him, uh, where, where San Francisco can try to recoup some of his salary and stuff. But I, I, I really believe that uh, Michigan is doing the right thing here. That they need a Jim Harbaugh. They need a guy to and. and Honestly, it doesn't matter. They could pay him ten million a year. They could pay him. A, they can pay him whatever. They need to pay him whatever it needs to be to get him there because they need to buy back their program. They don't have. They can't look at it as well. We're going to pay a coach this much. You got to buy back your program. Your your program is in the dumpster. You're a storied tradition of college football. You've got to buy it back, and that's the only way to get it back right now is to pay coaches to come to your school. You can't take a shot on another guy who you know had a 10-win season at Podunk U. It's it's, it's not going to work. You've got to get a known quantity. When you talk about these jobs like Texas, like Alabama, like Ohio State, like Michigan, USC, you know, these – I mean, Notre Dame found out. You can't just hire anyone to come in. It's it's, winning 10 games – or winning seven or eight games in the SEC and going to Penn State, it's a different world. The the pressure is so much more, and the margin of error is so much less when you come to these major universities, these storied programs, that you can't afford to miss. I mean, that's why Urban Meyer spends so much time recruiting and so much time preparing, because you can't afford to miss when you come to these schools. And I tell people this all the time, Jim Tressel was an anomaly. He was, he is not the rule. Everyone is looking at Jim Trestle like, oh, we can go down to, you know, to North Dakota State and get their coach and he's going to be successful when we drop him in at, at Alabama or at, you know, at Texas. Not the case. Jim Trestle is an anomaly. I mean, to come from a Division three program and be successful at a program like on Ohio State, that happens once in a lifetime. I mean, that, that's, I mean, just look around. Look at what Michigan is going through now. Look at what Notre Dame went through in the uh, early 2000s with Charlie Weiss and, you know, and, and, and that cavalcade of coaches that went through there. It, it takes, it's, it's very easy to get caught up into that fever of, oh, we, we can pay a guy $2 million to come be our head coach. And, you know, he's, he's won 10 wins in the MAC for the last four years. But can he handle what it means to be the coach at Michigan? And I think Michigan has tried that twice and found out that it doesn't work. Now you got to go out and pay for your guy and make and, and hey, it, it's going to hurt, but it's a band aid. Rip it off now. Put the check down. Put the money in in Harbaugh's account and get him to come there and get your program back. Yeah, it's the American way. You know, put put it all on your credit card and worry about how to pay for it later. <laughs> I, I don't think Michigan's going to have to charge it. I think they got enough money coming in. All right. Well, Matt, that's uh, Finkus on football. We appreciate that, but we want you to hang around because we have 
ask us anything. Here. Oh, I love asking. And we would anything. like you Fired like up. you to be a part of that. Yeah. And Johnny's going to tell uh, Johnny's going to tell our listeners how they can uh, ask us anything. Oh, you can ask us anything in so many different ways. Uh, you can send us an email, uh, dubcast at gmail dot com. D u b c a s t. No, 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 no. At eleven warriors dot com. Did I screw that up again? You did. How many times have I done this? I don't know, three? Uh, dubcast at 11warriors.com. I'm sorry. <laughs> Gotta say, guys, this is running like clockwork so far. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm We're professionals. <laughs> don't try this at home. Dubcast uh, <laughs> at 11warriors.com. Or you can hit us up on Twitter. Um, you can just send us a, uh, a Twitter to either my Twitter account or Michael's Twitter account. Mine is Johnny11W. Michael's is 11W underscore Michael. Or, more preferably, you could send us a... Uh, a tweet or a question at 11dubcast. Just spell it all out, E-L-E-V-E-N-D-U-B-C-A-S-T. That's on Twitter. And you can ask us anything about life, love, the universe, whatever you want to talk about. That's right. And, uh, you know, our first question comes through the Twitters, and it's from Kurt Heinrichs, and he wants to know, aside from Godfather Part 2, can you think of any sequel that is as good or close to as good as the original? Uh, Caddyshack 2. No. (laughs) That's that's not not accurate. Uh, Can you count? Can we count like the third one? Is that possible? First of all, Empire Strikes Back is the option. Yeah, Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, that's. that's, Oh God, you guys are nerds. How about Rocky Two? It's better than the first one because Rocky actually wins. Right, Rocky Two is a really good one. Uh, It is the best one of the whole series. I mean, well, maybe maybe four where he beats the Russian and communist communism falls, (laughs) and Gorbachev starts cheering for him. You know, I I mean, that's close. But but when he's when he's got the the dragon black leather shirt on and driving around in the bandit mobile, and then he beats Apollo Creed. Not sure how you get better than that. Yeah, yeah, and if and if. I can change, and you can change. Maybe we can we change. Should all change. <laughs> My favorite part of that is the montage where it's like Rocky's like working out in the cabin, you know, and he's like, "I'm doing it the American way, man. Doing without roids. Doing without that crazy <laughs> Russian stuff." And like Sylvester Stallone's like roided out of his mind in that movie. Yeah, um, still living. Yeah, I'm gonna say if, if you can count any sequel, so any part of the series, I gotta say uh, the Last Crusade and Indiana Jones is probably my favorite. Of those, but um, man, Godfather Two is really good. That's that's one of my favorite movies. Uh, I don't know, Michael. What's what's your input on this? Well, my my original first thought obviously was Empire Strikes Back. I also think uh, if you want to go with a third film of a series, uh, Evil Dead series, Army of Darkness. That's good. Uh, is a good one, and so yeah, I think there's a quite a quite a few where the the second movie's as good as the first. Uh, Rocky was a really great Patrick example. Boogaloo. <laughs> You haven't um, seen that one, Michael? No, oh, no. I'm, I'm not, so I wasn't good. one of the. I wasn't in on the breaking uh, craze. Um, it never, never really occurred to me to uh, to go see that movie. Uh, just to make fun of the title. That's all that occurred to me out of that. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I think we've come up with some solid ones, uh, and I'm sure there's plenty that we're not thinking of. If you guys think of some, please uh, email us and ask us about them, and, and we'll discuss them right here on the air. Yeah, yeah. Tell us which ones we actually missed. Uh, but I'm going to go to the mat and disagree about the Indiana Jones movie because I thought Raiders of the Lost Ark was the bomb. It is the best one, but I'm just saying as far as – well, uh-huh. eh. let's talk about this for another 40 <laughs> minutes because I could. Uh. You could. You very easily could. Um, but we're going to get to another question instead Damn it. if that's okay with you. So Fine. Uh, so we have one that came to us uh, through the emails from Brian Sanders, and Brian says, Hey, guys, so I keep hearing from Buckeye fans through the coaching search at that – team up north they want the best guy jim harbaugh to go there 
because a strong Michigan is good for the Big Ten. I, for one, will never forgive them for ruining so many of my childhood years through the Cooper era, so I feel like anyone who says this is either a lot younger than me or delusional. I'm only 28. <laughs> now, that, now that we have proven that false by making the playoffs, we can, uh, can we finally hear the end of this nonsense and keep them at the bottom of the conference where they belong? What do you guys think? Uh, I'm going to defer to you on this one first, Matt. Go for it. Yeah, you know, I, I like it, – it's tough because I was part of many of those that, that have been, you know, heartbreaking. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, 93, 94 no, – no, no, 93, 95, 96, to, to, to name three. Um, but I, I honestly – and I know people, people are shocked when I say this. I'm of the camp where I want – Michigan to be competitive. I, I I do. I mean it. It means you know. I mean, they're if you go these past couple of years when Michigan has sucked, do you think they're making an HBO documentary? I mean, and how cool <laughs> was that HBO documentary? I mean, let's be honest. So the 2006, you know, when it all culminated, they make the documentary. They're not making that today because Michigan sucks. So yeah. we need Michigan to be good. I, I know people don't like to hear that or they they don't want to believe it, but. <clears throat> I mean, Superman needs Lex Luthor. I mean, everyone needs their arch nemesis. Michigan is our arch nemesis. I mean, you go back to, I mean, I got kids. We watch Megamind. I mean, what happens when when one of the people in Megamind, you know, goes away? I mean, it's it's, it's no fun anymore. You've got to have. Thanks for throwing this nerd the bone, Matt. I appreciate that. Yeah, (laughs) you've got to have the the yin and the yang. You've got to have, you know, the the polar opposites. And Michigan is our our polar opposite. And and I, I am one of those who thinks that, well, I mean, I don't think that. This is a fact. Michigan has the opportunity to be a, a good program. Now, right. for the Big Ten to be respectable, you know, we don't want to be in the position the Big 12 was in this past year. Where what if what if Michigan State is horrible too? What if, you know, Wisconsin isn't any good? And and what if there's only one team or or maybe two good teams in, in the Big 10? You know, we need the upper level Big Ten schools. And I just did an interview this on uh, about this on Alabama radio. The guys asked me, you know, wh- what does the Big Ten need to do to get back to that respectability of the mid 90s and the early 2000s? They got to spend money on coaches. Now, Purdue, uh, Indiana, they're not going to, but Michigan will. Penn right. State will, Michigan State will, Wisconsin. We need six good teams. Uh, now, they don't have to be six national championship contenders, but we need six good teams in the Big Ten. I mean, and, and that's the way. And Michigan has to be one of those teams. We can't rely on Northwestern or Purdue or Indiana to be one of those teams. Michigan has to be one of those teams. So they have to be good for the Big Ten to be respectable. Yeah, I completely agree with all of that. I want Michigan to be good. I think steel sharpens steel, and I don't want – to just roll over Michigan every year. I know some people like to say, well, I'm the best Ohio State fan in the world. I don't want Michigan to ever win. Like, I don't I, – no, seriously, <laughs> I think that's why some people say that because they don't want to admit that they would, you know, be okay with Michigan being good. I don't want Ohio State to ever lose to Michigan, but I also would much, much prefer beating an 11 or 12-man Michigan team before uh, I would beat like an 0-11 Michigan team. I, I want to see good games. I want to have atmospheres like in 2006 – which was one of the craziest football games I've ever, you know, attended in my life. Like I want more of that, and I, I want. Yeah, Michigan who doesn't want those games? I mean, I mean, who who doesn't want to be a part of those kind of games? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, like, 2000, 2006 was amazing. One versus two. There's really never been a game like that, right? Uh, in, that I can ever recall. And it, you know, two teams at the very top of the polls going at it in the game. That was pretty amazing, and, and I'm all for that. I mean, that what do you said, want to see? You want to see a 2009 game or a 2006 game? Like that's, that's I, I grew up in the, 
Yeah, I grew up in that Cooper era too, though. So if you give me another decade of them sucking, I'm okay with it still. <laughs> but um, you know, because you know, it'll be just twice as long as the Cooper era. So it'd be fine. I'd be fine with that. But yeah, I, I I get both sides of the argument. I don't like Michigan. It doesn't bother me when they suck, but it, it, it is more fun to beat them when they're good than when they suck. Right. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't you want if you're a Buckeye fan, don't you want to? Isn't part of the fun of beating Michigan is reveling in their their horror of, of losing to us. I mean, and if they're, right. if they're coming in with three wins, you know, I mean, what's the, everyone knows it's not fun to beat up the, the, you know, the, the little tiny kid at the end of the street. I mean, you want, you want to make sure that you want to beat up the, the kid who's, who thinks you want he's to beat tough. up his dad. Yeah. You want to beat up <laughs> the kid who thinks he's tough in Michigan. You want for them to think that they're tough. They've got to be eight, nine, 10 wins. I mean, right. if they're just rolling over and curling up into the fetal position, what fun is that? You don't want to kick that. I mean, I want to beat the guy up who, who who's going to, you know, who thinks he's got something who's, who's maybe talking to my girlfriend. I mean, that's the guy who I want to kick his ass. <laughs> that's why 2004 was one of the most entertaining games I've ever seen in my life. Just because <laughs> they were so excited for that team. Like, yeah, man, we're, we're on the rise, blah, blah. And then Ohio state, comes in, I think at like six and five or something, and just takes it to him. Like that's that's fun. That's entertainment. I don't want to see just you know pushovers. So yeah, let's let's actually get a fun rivalry instead of just you know a, a trudge of just punching a dude in the face and walking on. <laughs> trudge All right, so yeah, we got yeah. we have enough of that. We've been, we've got <laughs> Purdue and Indiana and in the exactly. league in Illinois. Exactly. We don't need any more doing that. That's right. So uh, thanks for the email, Brian Sanders, and uh, thanks to everybody who, uh, who who hits us up with these Ask Us Anything questions every week. We, uh, we appreciate it. Give us, a, give us a shout on Twitter, 11Dubcast, or give us a shout through the emails at dubcast at 11warriors.com. And uh, no matter what the best sequel is, there's no worse sequel in the world than Slapshot 2. <laughs> I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, that's <laughs> a little sad. Just pretend that it doesn't. Worse than, that's worse what than I have Weekend to at Bernie's too. Oh God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the lead was a bull. Still dead. Uh, okay. the, the subtitle yeah. for Weekend at Bernie's too. <laughs> Still dead. <laughs> Still dead. Still dead. Don't Still see dead. the movie. Don't see He's it. Not All right. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. Thanks. Uh, thank you. Thanks, Matt. Yep. Thank you, on Football, and ask us anything. Uh, we appreciate you stopping by. All right, we'll do it again next week. Sounds good. All right, guys. We'll see you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Joining us now on the 11 Dubcast, former Ohio State quarterback Greg Fry. And uh, we're real happy to have you, Greg. Uh, thanks for joining us on the 11 Dubcast. Very happy to be on, guys. Thank you. So, Greg, the first thing before we get into talking a little Buckeye football is you have an addition to your family. I know this was a, a really big deal. You went over to China and you, uh, you adopted a baby girl. Uh, how is everything going? Everything's going great. Um, it's, uh, it's been an amazing experience. We went in, in September, my wife and I, to China, and uh, we, we, our gotcha day for our little Lucy was September 15th. So I've had her a little over three months, and it's going about as, as you would expect. You know, we've heard a lot of stories of how it's going for other, other families, and, uh, you know, I would say I, I kind of laugh if we kind of turned our family upside down. You know, we, we had a our son Jackson just turned seven, um, so significant change for everybody but um it's just it's been a phenomenal experience to see her uh, adjust and adapt um you know with a language barrier uh and just in her, her growth and, and maturation and, and uh it's it's really been impressive and obviously it's been a challenge you know we've we've been to the 
Nationwide Children's Hospital many times, and they have just been phenomenal um, with with how they take care of um, uh, international orphans. It's just it's been an impressive experience. Uh, but we've spent a lot of time there, and um, you know there's some things we still have to take care of with her. You know, just from a, a medical standpoint, and nothing serious, but. Um, you know, it's just it's, it's all things that we expected, and um, it's I can't say enough about how amazing this experience has been. The trip to China was great. I, we love to travel just to see what that country was like and to, to understand, um, you know, where she where she came from. Um, and then uh, you know, just coming back here and going through the the process of uh, kind of getting back into our you know our new routine, if you want to call it that. So yeah, mm-hmm. I could I could talk I'll talk at length, but uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's been one of the best experiences of my life, without a doubt. Well, I wanted to bring that up because you know this time of year, being Christmas and all, and and you're going through that with your family uh, and, and your and your new little girl uh, for the first time, which is awesome. And, and you know this is the kind of time of year when I think that those kinds of stories are really. Um, uh, you know, amazing and awesome and heartwarming and all those things. And, and so we wanted to just talk to you a little bit about that and uh, and wish you, obviously, you know, the best of luck with that. Thank you. Yeah, you know what, that's, it's, it's, I'm really glad we got to talk about that. I have a cousin um, who was adopted from China and, and, you know, her parents experienced kind of a lot of the same things, especially on the medical side. And I think it's really cool um, just the support that a lot of those parents have, like, with each other. And, and I, I just think that's a really neat thing that, uh, you're able to do it, so that's that's awesome. Um, to talk a little about football, I guess one of the things I'm I'm really glad that we have you on for is I really really wanted to get your opinion on the maturation process of uh, the Ohio State quarterbacks this season. You know, you got JT Barrett obviously who did incredible things during the season, but now of course it's like super critical that Cardale Jones is able to develop. Uh, hopefully equally as well and and about the the three or four weeks that he has before the game how difficult is it for a quarterback to be caught up to speed in that type of situation and and how do you feel that the Ohio State quarterbacks have done that uh, this season well I mean obviously they've done (laughs) phenomenally well Um, you know they've been coached well and and I think it it goes back to you know you recruit the right type of kid to play quarterback that fit the offense obviously all these young men have done that um, you know, I, I like what Coach Meyer said about, you know, the quarterback is really a product of everybody around him, uh, if I could paraphrase what he said. But uh, I believe that's true. And the, and the offense this year is just uh, they've really uh, – they grew, they grew tremendously in, in September. After the – you know, the uh, when the sky fell against uh, Virginia Tech, they, um, they went to work. And this offense has improved more than any I've seen. And, you know – I think when you look at what JT Barrett did, I mean, just he just kept doing it and doing it. And you're like, you know, when's he going to stop? And he didn't. Um, <laughs> and you know, when I was at the Michigan game, I don't go to too many games, but you know, I was there when he um, he turned that game around with that run right before halftime. And that's just a big time, big time, big time play because uh, Michigan had it well defended. And he just he has a sense for when he needs to run. Um, and I'm just I'm so impressed with what he did. And then you look at what uh, what happened in the Big Ten championship game, and you know I had a really good feeling about that because I, I had seen Cardale play in high school at Glenville. I saw him play in the state championship game, and he pretty much did everything he should have done to win the game. And uh, literally, we should have thrown a, a game-winning touchdown, and it was dropped. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I knew that he could do it in, in under big circumstances. And, that, and the, the key 
what I said to everybody before that game was he's going to have time to throw. The running game is going to be there. I believe we can run on Wisconsin. He's just got to make the throws, and he doesn't have to make every single throw because you've got so many weapons out there. Somebody's going to be open on play-action passes. You know, when he got off to a good start, which was really, really critical, and he rode away momentum, and then obviously they got up. And, you know, when you're out front like that, it's a lot easier to make plays. Um, so I, I give him a ton of credit. He played a great game. Um, my concern going into the next game, obviously, with Alabama is it's not going to be that easy. Um, I still believe he can get it done. And the positive is that he's got all these practice days. So if you think about it, he's, he played a quarter versus Michigan, which was, I mean, that's like, you know, to me that's worth about three or four games. Um, and, and he was involved when, you know, when he, it was crunch time. And then obviously he played the Big Ten championship game, had a great game, MVP, et cetera, et cetera. And he's going to get this whole month of practice pretty much with the ones. So he's going to be as prepared as you can possibly be. Um, but he's going to get tested. This is going to get tested a whole lot more versus Alabama. So, you know, it's like, okay, he did great. That's, that's nice. But can he do it two times in a row? That's a tall order. Um, and I believe that he can, but it's going to be, uh, it's going to be challenging. And I think um, – and I'll defer back to you guys. That's kind of – I just – I give those guys a lot of credit. Well-coached young men. And, and they've all risen to the occasion. Yeah, Greg, you, you mentioned uh, all the weapons that he has, and, and you had great receivers and tight ends and, and backs at Ohio State. How much um, does that help a quarterback settle into a, game, a big game, knowing he's got guys that can make plays for him? Makes it um, so much more, so much easier. First of all, time time to throw. The O line's doing a tremendous job, and really they run the football well. I mean. It, you know, when Zeke Elliott goes nuts around the football, runs for 200 yards, I mean, you know, the play-action passing game is a guinea. I mean, the guys are going to be open. Um, so a lot of those throws are, are fairly easy, frankly. Um, now, he made some great throws in that game, obviously, where he, he had to squeeze it in. But I, I guess the point is um, there are so many weapons. And, and really, if you look at all the games, you know, a lot of guys are catching balls, but some guys that are studs aren't touching the football. Um <laughs> I mean, you're too deep at tight end. You got three or four receivers that can go to take it to the house in a heartbeat, uh, and a handful of others that are pretty darn good. So that you know, I'm a little envious <laughs> because <laughs> there are just so many weapons. Um, and from a defensive standpoint, they can't key on one guy. They just can't do it. I mean, you, you can take away Jalen Marshall, but then you know, all of a sudden you're putting Devin Smith in a one-on-one situation. Or if you want to take away Devin Smith, then you got Jalen Marshall. And, and, and company. Um, and, and then if you fall asleep on our tight ends, they're going to kill you down the middle. So it's just you got to pick your poison plan on us. And, and at some point, one or two guys are going to be in a one-on-one situation. And the quarterbacks, it's their job to find that. And the, our coaches have done a tremendous job of uh, making sure our guys know when to anticipate those situations, and we're taking full advantage. You know, that's one of the things that I kind of want to ask you about, um, referring to the, the skill players and whatnot. You played with a lot of really, really talented uh, players, um, but are there any anybody on the team right now who you think would be comparable to some of those teams that you played on in the 80s? Oh, man. Hmm. Boy, that's tough. I've never, I've never thought of it that way. Uh, from a comparison standpoint, obviously we had – you know, we had some great skill. I think of Bobby Olive and Jeff Graham, and uh, I had a cup of coffee with Chris Carter, who, you know, I mean, 
don't even say more than his name, you know, what he did. <laughs> right. Um, you know, we had a lot of skill at running back. So, uh, you know, it, but it's, it's a different type of offense. So it's, I think it's really hard to compare. Um, but, um, you know, it's Ohio State. I mean, you you got to have those weapons. I think I've always looked at – I like to look at it, you know, I'm a little selfish. I want to look at what, what would I do in this type of offense? You know, could I run this type of offense? And I certainly would have, wouldn't have had the speed. <laughs> <laughs> um, to, to, to rack up the running yards that these guys are doing, but I would would have just killed to be able to play in an offense like this, uh, run the read option. I mean, you know, I, if there's a gaping hole, I, I pick up six or eight or ten and get down, you know, and, and move the chains. You're not going to see yeah. me busting it out, you know, for a long run. But but as far as throwing the football in this offense, oh, my. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. You know what, that's actually my follow-up, because you work a lot with uh, high school-age kids, and, and one of the things that I um, am always curious about is, is that type of offense really that big of a factor for uh, high school kids in determining where they want to go play? Do they look at an offense like this and do the same thing that you just did and go, man, that would be sweet to be able to like rack up some yards, rack up some statistics, doing that kind of thing, or do they simply look at wins and losses and they don't really care what kind of system it is? Uh, I think they care about the system, but I guess it, it comes down to, you know, are you wanted? I mean, <laughs> who right. wants you? That's really what it amounts to. Um, you know, I, I see the trend, obviously, in high school football is, is using an athletic quarterback. And, and to me, coaches that aren't doing that are just foolish. I just I think the game has changed. Um, you know, I, can you win in the pocket? Sure, you can. You you win in the pocket in the NFL, that's for sure. Uh, but when you got an athletic quarterback, it, to me, it's like, and, I, and I've been a coach, I've been an offensive coordinator, it's like having 12 guys uh, because you can spread the field. And if you've got a guy that can run, you dictate the flow of the game. You dictate what you want to do, and defenses have to uh, abide by that. So um, I just uh, I love where the state of college football and high school football is now with with an athletic quarterback, and uh, you're just seeing the growth um, of that type of an offense, and, and I just I'm fascinated by that. Greg, as a former player, I'm you know I'm interested in asking you what you know what players go through in that month between the end of the regular season and the bowl game. What uh, you know we get, you got the holidays, you got a little bit of travel involved. You got uh, obviously you're you're preparing for a game. In in the past, it's been one game, but obviously for these guys, it's you know it's hopefully more than that. You know what is the process? Uh, you know, from ending the regular season to playing in that bowl game, like. Well, I think the good thing is, is there's less of a break here because of the Big Ten championship. So you get, uh, you know, three, maybe three and a half weeks. Um, you know, so I, the, the the downside of that is you lose, you could lose momentum. I, I wouldn't say you lose it, but you could lose momentum. Um, but the reality is, you know, in a situation like this, both teams are dealing with that. So it, it's a lot of that is. Um, you know, as a player, I think you need a little bit of a break to get healthy. You know, you're banged up. End of the year, everybody's banged up. You need a couple of weeks to allow you to be 100% for the most part. So that's a good thing. Um, it allows the coaches to kind of go back to fundamentals and make sure you're doing the basic things right. Um, you know, and self-scout a little bit. So, you know, that the first week or two after that, maybe you're getting in the weight room, you're running some more, doing the fundamentals, and the coaches can self-scout and, you know, clean up things that they've been seeing uh, and then you know, the last week or two, you're going to really focus on your opponent um, and game plan like you normally would. So at that point, you know, here in the next couple of days, they're going to fall into that routine of this. It's going to become a game week, you know. And it's nice to get home, see your family, 
Uh, but those guys are going to be ready to get back down there. Um, I think they're heading down on the 27th and just fall into a normal game game week routine is as normal as it can be, <laughs> which is, you know, not really the case, but I promise you the coaches are going to try to make it as normal as they can. Um, but it's, um, it's funny. I've really watched bowl games and you see a lot of blowouts in bowl games. And I, there's a lot, I think there's a number of reasons for that. One is you get the break, uh, and you get a different, you don't know what t- football team is going to show up because you don't have that momentum. Uh, and you get teams, some teams that don't want to be in a certain bowl game. Now, in this case, both teams, uh, they definitely want to be there because <laughs> they want to play right. more. So I guess, you know, those are my thoughts on kind of what the break's like and how it affects them. So if you are, you know, let's say you're coaching Cardell Jones right now, what what is the number one thing that he needs to be working on that you're telling him to, like, concentrate on every practice until game time? You know, I didn't look at uh, – I watched uh, some of the replay of the uh, Big Ten Championship game. Um, but I guess from from looking at it one time, you know he didn't play perfect. He missed some throws. Um, you know some of those uh, like stretch option plays that ran didn't look real pretty. Um, so I think you, you either got to coach him up on how to run that better, or you don't run that play because it's not a good fit for him. <laughs> um, so I think there's going to be some of that going on. You know, obviously as a coach, you want to put your player in a, in a position to succeed. You know, so you got to be anticipating what he's going to face in this game. Um, and again, if if I look at Wisconsin, they didn't get pressure on him. I mean, he 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 could sit back there for the most part, and he wasn't pressured. I don't care who you are as a quarterback. You you sit back there and you're not pressured. It's like seven on seven. You you can pick teams apart. Um, and he's obviously got a cannon to do that. So, um, but I, I guess it would go back to you know really um, honing in on uh his feet making sure his feet are properly set to make you know to be in position to throw and because when his feet are set he can make the throw without a doubt um and then making the right reads and just getting more comfortable and it's just that's where all those reps come into play as you can it become you know the offense becomes second nature and you know he's been around for a couple of years here so it's not like he doesn't know the offense uh, but it's, it's getting in tune with those players on the on, on the first team um and again it's just every single day is is really important for him getting all those reps. Um, so it's it's cleaning up the things he didn't do right, and there were a few. Um, and then obviously just getting more comfortable in the offense, and really probably in this at this point honing him on the game plan and uh, just getting him locked in and and building confidence with him. Yeah, and uh, and Greg, we appreciate your thoughts on. Uh you know, on the game coming up and, and, you know, while you shared with us. But before we let you go, we want to involve you in a little thing that we call Ask Us Anything. And uh, it's where we have uh, our listeners who write us questions and they can literally ask us anything. And uh, the question we have from our, our friend Kirk Heinrichs, he wanted to know, uh, other than Godfather 2, what is a, a sequel that either equaled or surpassed the original movie? So I want to get your thoughts on that. A sequel that surpassed the original movie? Yeah, or was at least as good as the original. Um, well, I can tell you the sequel to Caddyshack was not. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is exactly um, <laughs> you know, a couple of the Star Wars movies, uh, I was a huge fan of Star Wars. I, I remember vividly <laughs> going to the first one. Um, a couple that of is those also exactly what I said immediately after that. <laughs> <laughs> Return of the Jedi was pretty good. Um, man, let's see here. 
I have yet to see Dumb and Dumber 2, but I'm going to bet my mortgage that it's not as good as the first one. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably oh, a safe bet. Oh, man. Well, I wish I would have had time to study for this one. I would have had some good answers. Uh, <laughs> we asked the hard-hitting questions on the 11 Dumb Cats. Yeah, right. we, put you, we put you on the spot, yeah. Yeah, I'm on the spot <laughs> on that one. Um, man. Uh, is there another one? I think I think Empire Strikes Back is a very acceptable answer. I think that's a very good answer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm, so we I'm, appreciate I'm your. Rack, uh, I'm still racking my brain on that one. <laughs> <laughs> you, you got me on that one. That's beautiful. <laughs> oh, I love I love that you jumped to the Caddyshack as like the antithesis of that. That, cause it's just, <laughs> that is like a universal. <laughs> uh, uh, so. Uh, so, Greg Fry, thanks uh, for jumping on the 11 Dubcast with us this week, and uh, certainly good luck to you and your family, and uh, we hope you uh, enjoy your holidays. Thank you, guys. My pleasure. And, man, that'll just about do it for uh, this Christmassy edition of uh, 11 Dubcast. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, we want to we thank <laughs> – you didn't get me that time. I, I was ready for it. Um want to thank Matt Finkus, obviously Finkus on football, and he helped us out with Ask Us Anything, which was nice, and uh, always – uh, a pleasure to talk to Matt, and a very special uh, thank you to Greg Fry, former Ohio State quarterback, for dropping by the Dubcast tonight. Uh, Johnny, but before we get out of here, i got a last question for you, as usual. Please ask me this question. I'm going to ask you anything, if you uh, <laughs> okay. want to put it that way, Go I guess. Go for it. Um, okay, so your version of the best Buckeye Christmas ever. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is a very broad question, I know. Best Buckeye Christmas ever. Well, I think it would start out with, you know, kind of how my family tends to open presents on Christmas Eve first. We don't we do not do it on Christmas morning as a whole family. Uh, we My immediate family does Christmas morning, but my larger extended family always does it on Christmas Eve. Uh, I think that's how it would work. Everybody gathered around. The ghost of Woody Hayes appears and, you know, warns us about being horrible people. And then, uh, <laughs> and then Brutus comes down from the chimney. With a you know sack full of goodies for all the good little boys and girls, and then Urban Meyer comes in, you know, like with a little apron on and gives us some delicious Ohio State themed cookies, and Gene <laughs> Gene Smith like steals all our presents and takes them up to his mountain, but then his heart grows three sizes and he delivers them back, and then on Christmas morning we're all sitting around the table like singing unintelligible songs like doo 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 or whatever the Dr. Seuss crap is. And um, I don't know. Terrell Pryor pops up and goes, God bless us, everyone. <laughs> and then we have a very merry Ohio State Christmas. I think that's I think that would be pretty good. And then and then we just all sing like, you know, uh, the, uh, you know, the Buckeye battle cry. And then we all go to bed with uh, visions of Brady Hoax getting fired uh, dancing in our head. How about that? That's that's very nice. I pulled that out of my butt. I'm pretty impressed with myself after that. I'm particularly I'm particularly uh, curious about your take on Terrell Pryor's voice. <laughs> well, I wanted to do Evan Turner's voice, uh, but I like I don't know that I can do like a, a Kermit the Frog crossed with like you know like DMX kind of thing that he's got going on. So like I don't know. You know what? I left out Thad Mata. Thad Mata. Maybe Thad Mata is. Uh, uh, <laughs> Had Mata is Tiny Tim. Um, 
I don't know. God bless. Well, he is kind of crippled. Yeah, woo. That's that's a little rough. I I, I was more in the sense that he was kind of the optimist guy. You know, he's the. Well, I mean, you know, his. If you've ever had back problems, I mean, it is a crippling, crippling thing. Oh yeah, no, the dude's in and, pain. But I just, you know, he's he's to me, he's the glimmer of like Urban Meyer is kind of like the, you know, he's the hardcore like this is the Charles Dickens Christmas and, uh, you know, I I think that Mata exists to be the 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 you know the the light at the end of the tunnel because he's just a happy guy and I I appreciate it. Everybody needs that at Christmas. Everybody needs a Thad Mata to cheer you up and say, "You know what? It's not all dealing with the in-laws. It's sometimes it's opening presents and eating food and being, you know, happy." So, uh, I think Thad Mata would close it out with the God blesses everyone. Maybe not Terrell Pryor. Who's cooking the turkey and the ham or turkey or ham? I am. I'm doing it. You are. Yep. I'm doing so, you that's your, in your ideal world, you're doing your own cooking. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's in, in my ideal world, I have learned how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I've become an excellent, excellent chef. Yes, uh, and a very, very juicy bird uh, to serve up on Christmas. Well, that's pretty cool. I think uh, you know I can't really add too much to that. Somehow, Aaron Kraft would have to be involved, but I, I think um, other than that, I think uh, things are pretty good. And maybe Keith Byers has to be there, but um, and Spielman. I don't know. Maybe, now I'm now I'm just like. I'm just adding a cast of thousands. But uh, however your ultimate Buckeye Christmas is, we hope it's a really great one. Um, we'll be back next week with an all-new show, obviously. And uh, we will be seven days closer to the big showdown. Yeah, I'm going to be peeing my pants. So I'm, I'm glad I have Christmas to distract me right now, honestly. Um, or do I need to amend that and say that we will have already played the game? Do you? I don't think so. So this is going to land on the 24th. Yeah. So, okay. So next, no, it's going to be the night before the game. Yeah. Ooh, man. I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't know. It's, you know, it's all just becoming too real for me right now. <laughs> We're in the first college football so playoff. Real. <laughs> first, first college football playoff ever, Johnny. And it just got real up in here. <laughs> it freaked you out. Yeah, I know. I just had that momentary lapse of, wait a minute, it's really late in the month. Are we going to get another show in before the, yeah, before the game? And yes, yes, we are, in fact. So we'll be back with an all-new uh, 11 Dubcast next week, and we'll pretty much be crapping our pants. But until that time, I'm Michael Citro. I'm John Ginter. Feliz Navidad. <laughs> oh, that's going to be stuck in my head all freaking night Good. now. Thanks, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho.